Andre Segovia Show. Welcome to the program, everyone. I am Andres, the Honest Broker. In this episode, I am introducing a segment called Debunking Real Estate Myths. There are some real estate myths out there that you might yourself believe. I call them misinterpretations or misnomers of certain things that happen in real estate. For example, there's people that argue that we should do a transaction without an agent because the agent just wants the commission. We don't need an agent to do so. But I'm not going to get into that subject in this episode. In this episode of Debunking Real Estate Myths, I want to cover why buying a house is not a good investment. Now, that's the belief that's being perpetuated on the media as of late. If you do a simple Google search of just type in, should I buy a home or is buying a home a good investment? It pulls up a bunch of negative articles discouraging people from buying. It's been proven that negative news gets more traction than positive news. When you do these Google searches that I just gave you a sample of, you'll notice that the first few search result pages on Google are all negative news. And that's interesting because I, for one, am not one that stops at the first search result pages, but you probably never go beyond the first page. So if it's on the first page, it must be the most quantified, qualified opinion or information you could find out there. See, there's a lot of information out there, but the quality of said information is really the most important thing to dissect. Like there's some articles like Money Under 30 wrote an article supposedly debunking the truth about the home investment. It's not an investment just because it appreciates. A true investment requires more than the prospect of an increase in value. And the reason they argue that is because a house has a more important primary purpose than it is for investing, so to speak. So a house can't be an investment if you never plan to sell it. If you're thinking of your house as an investment, it can lead to what is called equity stripping and so on and so forth. That's money under 30 making a case for why your house is not an investment. Now links to each of the articles I'm going to be referencing in this episode will be on the show notes on my website www.theandresegovia.com and you'll be able to pull these up for yourself so you know I'm not just taking these out of context. The article I'm going to be referencing more in this episode is why buying a home is not a good investment. It's a service. There's truth to some of these articles, they make valid points. But the question is, are they right? I say, no. Now, of course, you're gonna respond by saying, oh, Andres, you're a broker. Of course, you're gonna say buying a home is a good investment. Look, the argument that buying a home is not good for you is akin to the argument that going to college and getting a degree is a waste of money. While, again, while there is some truth to the arguments, we must first preface what the arguments are and who the intended audience of said article is. And I will tackle each of these arguments one by one. Before we dive into the talking points though, I want to point out that the arguments against buying a home come from two different perspectives. See, the first perspective against buying a home is coming from the mind of the investor, or in this case, I like to refer to them as the flipper. 
because that's the mindset I want to address first. We'll get to the second perspective later after I address each of the arguments posted by some of these articles that come from investors and other economic financial advisors, supposedly. All right, so we're going to take the main arguments. We're going to list them one by one. There's five that I really want to cover. And the first argument they make is that rent is cheaper than a mortgage. Now, on its face, like, well, yeah, rent is cheaper than a mortgage. Come on. Well, if you live on the coastal regions of the United States, you know for a fact that's not true. There was a movement here in California, for example, in 2018, that was trying to remove the last remaining law protecting homeownership in California. That law is called Costa-Hawkins. It was trying to be repealed via Proposition 10 that was fought tooth and nail last year by a lot of associations, real estate agents. The people had spoken. And we did not repeal Costa-Hawkins. would have basically introduced rent control ordinances throughout the entire state. It's not that the, the law would have automatically done so. Each city would have been able to do their own ordinances. And there's a lot of cities lined up, especially here in Southern California, that want to pass their own rent control stabilization ordinance, or AKA rent control. Now, why would this discussion even be happening? The reason it's happening is because the rent is too high, akin to that of a mortgage. So there you have have it. Rent is already expensive. And for the savvy landlord, they will demand renters to have renters insurance because the homeowner has homeowner insurance for their property. But there's another person living there with their own personal property. And some tenants believe that the homeowner insurance supposedly covers the tenant's personal items. And that's not the case. So to avoid any lawsuits and any confusion, the savvy landlord will require a renter to have renter's insurance. Now, let's say the if the landlord permits pets, they also get smart there. They demand a pet deposit, pet rent, pet insurance, proof of vaccinations, etc. The landlord can also pass on the utilities onto the tenant. Look, rent goes up every single year and renting contributes to an unstable living condition. There's no freedom to enjoy the home and the tenant's basically at the mercy of the landlord. So no, renting is not more attractive than a mortgage and there are no tax advantages to renting versus a mortgage. This leads into argument number two, opportunity cost. Those that argue that renting is better than a mortgage usually bring up the opportunity cost because if a rent is less expensive than a mortgage, then therefore they are saving this money. Opportunity cost is defined as the loss of potential gain from other alternatives when one alternative is chosen. So if someone is not spending supposedly the more expensive mortgage versus a rent, they're saving that supposed money they could have spent as an opportunity cost. Well, we just established that rent is just as expensive as a mortgage. So let's turn that argument on their head. Now there's an opportunity cost being lost here via the tax benefits. And of course, the the loss of appreciation you could be having in investing in your own home. And look, the Forbes article that that I'm referencing in this episode, even though two thirds of the article is arguing against single home ownership, it makes this conclusion in the article. A study released by Harvard University's Joint Center for Housing Studies has shown that most research comparing homeowner wealth to that of renters after adjusting and controlling for sociological, economic, and other demographics indicate that those who buy homes tend to increase wealth faster than renters. So purchasing a home still appears to be a good decision for many people in spite of all the information showing the benefits of renting, the risks associated with homeownership, not to mention homeownership providing a poor return on investment. 
So even after all this negativity and pushing that renting is actually more beneficial, it is not, especially since homeowners are actually saving more money than the renters. You're actually taking a better advantage of your opportunity cost by buying a house versus renting. So let's move on to argument number three, that the upfront costs of buying a house are really high. Look, depending on which avenue you approach, if you're buying a house all cash or at the whole other end of the spectrum, you're getting an FHA loan with just 3.5% down, you're either putting all your money into a house or you're putting as minimal as possible. So depending on that, yes, the upfront cost of buying a house in that sense is really high. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the definition of an investment. You're putting money in. You either put in all your money or you don't. If you do a conventional loan, you're putting around 20% down. You can get as low as 5%, but let's just say 20% down. 20% of a $500,000 house, that means you're putting $100,000 into the house initially. That does not even take into account your loan cost, escrow fees, closing costs. Let's, it's all summarized under what is considered closing costs, which is usually around 2 or 3%. When you're taking that into account, man, that's a lot of money you're putting out there. Look, We've already established that homeowners save more money. And also, this is what an investment is. You are investing in yourself versus what? Renting every single year? How much are you paying in rent just tossing it away that you're never going to get back? And every year that rent goes up. You either put your money elsewhere where you can put it to work or the garbage bin called rent. Argument number four, equity appreciation is a myth. This is argued by Matt Becker on momanddaddymoney.com, another article that I'll be linking here below. And the reason is because on average, a property appreciates around 3%. 3.6% of you use the economist measurements. The economist measured the home prices increasing average annually since 1980 to 2016. That's the latest results that we have. If it only appreciates around 3% or 3.6% a year, and inflation appreciates at an average of 2% a year, you're ahead of inflation by at least 1%. If you're paying a purchase mortgage insurance or PMI, well, the first few years of the mortgage are really heavy on you paying that insurance back. So technically, you're not immediately paying towards your principal, you're paying more interest and insurance than anything else. And that's where they make the argument that equity appreciation is a myth because you're technically not putting money into your home. It's true in the general sense of the word, but one size doesn't fit all. This thing is assuming you're literally just sitting on your home, not doing any improvements to it. If you bought a home that you put improvements into it because it needed some improvements, you just build equity into your home. There are ways to build equity into your home instead of just basically putting a seed there and watering it and expecting it to grow on its own. That is the sentiment behind this argument that equity appreciation is a myth, but it is not. And look, these articles that I'm referencing have been written in the past 18 months. They are lucky they didn't write it in at least three years ago or even more. Let's say they wrote them 10 years ago. Every single one of these published article authors would be discredited because of the incredible increase in home prices over the past 10 years. What it took to appreciate in value over three decades leading up to the market meltdown in 2008 was recovered in 10 years and in some cases surpassed that. It's an insane number. Oh, but Andres, I got a high interest loan. You have options to refinance so you can get out of that. A, not only high interest loan, you can get a better interest. And secondly, get rid of that purchase mortgage insurance that you don't have to be worrying about in your new loan. And you can do that in some cases as early as two years or less in to your original loan. There's ways to appreciate uh, your equity by building equity into your home, assuming it's a single family home, by A, improving your kitchen, remodeling your bathroom, or in some cases, adding an entire other bath- bathroom or bedroom. You know, there's different ways to go about it. That's how you appreciate 
your property. You grow it. You build something into it. But if you're just going to sit there and just water it once and hopefully the rain will take care of the rest, then that's a different story. This is where they'll win that argument. But that is not a one-size-fits-all. We reached the last argument I want to make, and that is that a house isn't liquid. And I want to reiterate this thing from Forbes.com. While the overall housing market might be safer and less volatile than market investments, aka stocks, an individual home is far riskier than the overall housing market. Individual homeownership has some serious drawbacks like location risk and illiquidity. A single home is not very liquid as it can take months to sell. They summarized it pretty well. Stocks are very liquid. You can buy, sell, trade multiple times over in the same day. You cannot cash out on houses like you can on stocks. So this is an argument that I actually agree with. They all make the same argument that single homeownership is bad because it's illiquid. This is where they're right. If you're going to get into real estate investment where you want the the property that you're acquiring to be working for you, you are not going to buy a single family primary residence. That's not how you go about it. If you want to build your kingdom, so to speak, you're going to be buying residential income property. And that's the punchline. All of these articles miss that punchline. None of them are talking about buying investment property. They're just trying to turn you off to investment. So A... This is an investor's mindset arguing that a house isn't liquid, so buy residential income. Yes, that's how you make it liquid. Or you rent and buy a house that you fix up and flip and use that money to acquire other property, then yes, that is the flipper's mindset. But with all these articles lacking that punchline about residential income property being able to work for you or buying a flip that you can sell faster, they are not mentioning that. Therefore, it leads to the second mindset for why all these negative articles appear. And that is called anti-homeowner sentiment. There's a lot of news and a lot of influence out there to turn people off to buying real estate for themselves. I've already established in the whole rental argument that you're basically uh, at the mercy of the landlord when you are renting. If you want to buy your freedom out of that, you will become a landlord. That is the whole point. You want a pet, no one can say no because, hey, it's your property. It's like, hey, no one can tell you can't have more than one car. Hey, it's your property. You got a driveway, two-car garage. You have that power. Oh, I want to put this, this picture of my family up on the wall, but my landlord says I can't put a nail on the wall. Well, it's your home. You can put that picture up if you want to. The cable box, the satellite dish, what you want to do. Hey, you know what? The kids are growing. It's painted a different color. You know what? We can take down this wall and make the kitchen a lot bigger and let more light in. That is on you, up to you. You are the landlord. You are the king of your home. You can't have that via rentals. When millennials are, are asked nowadays what they consider buying a house, it's not even on their priority list because they're fine renting, they say. There's a lot of dense population construction happening in major metropolitan areas and some non-major metropolitan areas where they're trying to encourage public transit and dense population of people so they can use that public transit and by doing so they're building apartments and lofts that are not for sale in some cases you might find some condos but no what you're gonna find more are a lot of floors of apartments that you are only able to rent not buy and you're limited to maybe one car two at the most depending on the parking spaces permitted and 
the first floor is going to be commercial shopping centers. You know, so you don't have a privacy, so to speak. You're going to have people coming to an area and you're going to have that kind of difficulty. But if you live in a dense population and you accustom yourself to it, you won't feel you're missing out. That is called a conditioning. Now, I'm not going to get into it, but I will tell you why that is. This goes back almost 30 years. It's a thing called Agenda 21, Path to the United Nations by a lot of powerful economic nations when they met up in a summit in 1991. And it was signed by all the major economic powers at the time it's a green initiative to build sustainable living agenda 21 you can look at it on your own i'm not going to talk about that right now it's been a long time coming and it's happening because if people can be convinced that they do not need a home you therefore lose your freedoms that is a bold statement and it's also true because property rights dictate your rights so don't let people discourage you from homeownership. Don't misread these articles that are speaking against homeownership because they're actually positively speaking about the other aspect of real estate but aren't mentioning any articles but that's why i'm making this episode because a lot of these articles in google searches pages one and two are addressing just that and most people don't even go beyond page one in their google search so if all they see is negative this don't buy a house that then you're not going to buy a house we don't need our side in real estate to also be misinforming those potential home buyers or investors of the future So let's not discourage them. So let's inform them properly. Guys, if you're interested in getting into real estate, if you've been sitting on the fence and you don't know which way to go, if you don't know if it's your time or the right time, then hey, let's have a conversation. You can call me at 714-512-2041, 714-512-2041. You can even text me if you want. Hey, Andres, I heard your show. I want to talk about real estate. Go ahead and text me. Or you can email me if you're so shy about that. Andres at segoviares.com. That's Andres, A-N-D-R-E-S, at Segovia, S-E-G-O-V-I-A-R-E-S.com. Real estate license number 01909449. And that does it for this edition of the Andres Segovia Show. Remember to like, share, and subscribe wherever you might be listening to the program so you can be in the know. If you want a question featured on the program, you can reach me on Facebook and Instagram, same handle, at the Andres Segovia, on Twitter, at underscore Andres Segovia, and of course, email at andres at segoviares.com. Thank you so much for listening to the program, and I'll see you on the next one.